Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 144 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked about 2015 New Year's technology resolutions. How are you doing on yours so far? Ever since we wrote our book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, we occasionally like to take a look at the current state of collaboration tools, and that's what this podcast will be about. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we'll be discussing, as you say, collaboration tools and technologies for lawyers. In our second segment, we'll give our uh, thoughts on reports from this year's big consumer electronics show. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start using the second this podcast is over. But first, let's get started uh, on our uh, first segment, and that is collaboration tools and technologies. Dennis, can you believe that it has actually been seven years since our book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, came out? I was amazed that it's been, it's been that long. It seems like it hasn't been that long. What's interesting to me is that in the last seven years, a lot of things have changed, while a lot of things, I think, have remained the same. Uh, so we thought we would take a look at what collaboration for lawyers looks like in 2015. Uh, let's really start with the basics, though, I think. Dennis, do you want to kind of start out with what do we mean when we say collaboration tools? Well, Tom, according to Wikipedia, collaboration <laughs> tools means I, I'm I'm just kidding, of course, because but, but 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 in a in a small way, because I think that Wikipedia probably in those seven years um, has remained probably the premier collaboration platform, uh, and the the Wikipedia tool itself and how it's put together is is a great example of of collaboration, and I think it illustrates some things that have happened over time because wikis were really big seven years ago when we wrote the book and i i thought that uh maybe they'd be even bigger now uh, even in law but i don't think they've really taken off and i think that wikipedia remains the most successful example of that type of collaboration platform so i think when we talk about collaboration tools Tom, we mean both the sort of bigger collaboration platforms and then also the the smaller, uh, sometimes discrete tools that allow people to work together. And as as we said in the book, that the legal profession is by its very nature uh, collaborative. And so uh, lawyers, even solos, are working with different people all the time, either on the same side or the opposite side or uh, – you know, experts, uh, other other people, court personnel. Uh, so you're always working with people. And so we're looking at, by collaboration tools, I generally mean those tools that we actually use when we're working together on projects uh, with people. And so they can be either bigger or, or smaller types of tools. How's that for definition, Tom? I think that's a good definition, and it kind of leads into the question of um, of how that has changed since we wrote the book, or or whether that has changed. And and I was just sort of taking a look back at what is different now uh, as opposed to what was in the book. And frankly, there are a lot of 
tools that have changed tremendously. We created, as part of the book, we created a collaboration tools directory that has sort of fallen into disrepair. Um, and I wager that 60 to 70% of the tools we mentioned in the book and in the directory are either, they either no longer exist uh, or they have morphed into other types of services. I, I, I know that a lot of the tools have evolved into more c commercial collaboration platforms, which I think is good for collaboration, but maybe not so good for individuals who want to try out some of these tools. But one of the things that I think is not changing much, and this is maybe my perception, uh, and, and I want Dennis you to push back and tell me if I'm wrong, and I want our listeners to push back and tell me if I'm wrong, is that you know in the, in the seven years since the book came out, I just don't get the sense that lawyers are using many of the tools we talk about and we talked about in the book for collaboration. I may be wrong here. I Like I said, I'm going to encourage listeners to send me a message. There, we put it in the show notes. We put it at the end of this podcast. Tell me how wrong I am, but I just don't think that collaboration tools are being used as often as they could or should be. Do you get that sense, or am I way off base here? Yeah, I, I think that sort of when you go to the bigger, what I'll call collaboration platforms or collaboration suites, I don't think there's been the pickup that you we really expected. So SharePoint obviously is huge in the in the legal profession among big, among bigger firms. Although uh, you know a lot of people point to a lot of failed SharePoint projects. So I, I think that that's out there. And so um, you see things like that, uh, like I said, the, the wikis, those types of platforms, or a, a collaboration suite that's called you know, collaboration something. You don't see that much of that. What I think you see is the the to me is the big change is the collaboration is built into standard tools. Um, so, for example, in, in Adobe Acrobat, there are ways to collaborate. Uh, some of the collaboration tools, you know, in the work that I do, I would say, uh, you know, redlining is a huge collaboration tool that's built into the micro, Microsoft Office suite. So I think there are some things like that, so that so uh, pulling things into existing tools. And then I think there are a, a few things that... Uh, Maybe we didn't expect that it would become more important in collaboration, and I think we'll talk about both of these things too, Tom, but I, th I think of uh, instant messaging, uh, I, I think has become really big in collaboration, uh, at least for me, and then the whole notion of apps, very specific apps uh, on uh, uh, in uh, your mobile phones, tablets, and also uh, on, on the computer have become important in collaboration. So I'm going to push back on one of the things that you said and, and, and about talking about how there are tools uh, or there's collaboration features built into tools that we already use, which to a certain extent was around seven years ago when we wrote the book. But I'm going to say that, that again, I don't think that lawyers tend to be using these tools. And, and the, the prime example I'll give of, of collaboration tools built into, uh, in, into the products that we already use is the track changes and commenting feature in Microsoft Word. You and I, Dennis, belong to a group where we have to review manuscripts on a regular basis. And we may have three or four people reviewing those manuscripts. And it is very challenging to get people to actually open up that document in Word and turn on track changes and make those changes. They would rather 
print out an entire 150-page manuscript and write on it and then scan it back and send it in, which is a form of collaboration. But when you consider that I could then take four track changes in Word and combine them within literally 30 seconds so that we have a fully commented document that the author could then take and look at, um, really is amazing to me how how little things have changed. I, I think that to the extent that lawyers are embracing collaboration tools, my the trends that I see tend to be more along uh, types of communication like instant messaging or co- having conversations, whether it be instant messaging, whether it's video chat, whether it's text messaging, those seem to me to be the collaboration collaboration areas that are most popular. And and I guess to the extent that you can call file sharing collaboration, uh, certainly the use of Dropbox, the use of cloud tools and different types of file sharing tools, I think has has exploded tremendously. But I don't, I, I view that as a different kind of collaboration than, than some of the things that I know you and I talk about when we think about actually working on documents, working on projects, working on things together. Well, I think we do use, people use, and Dropbox is a good example of file sharing is an example of calendaring, you know, shared calendaring. All these things are examples of collaboration and and people use them, but I think you're right, not in a disciplined way, not in a universal way, and, and certainly not as part uh, of a platform. I, I guess probably my biggest surprise, uh, you know, over time is that there's no question that email remains the primary tool of collaboration f- for lawyers. And uh, although I think last year I kept talking about the death or decline of email, I, you know, it's pretty much tongue in cheek because, because email is with us. Um, it's the main tool, no question about it for all its flaws and everybody understands the flaws. And, and also I would say to echo what you were saying, Tom, is I don't think that lawyers work especially hard at uh, getting better at using Outlook or other email tools to, to help with collaboration from the simplest uh, to the most complex. So they, they don't use rules. They don't use good subject lines. They attach uh, documents with no sense of version, no consistency in naming things. And then um, the other thing I found that really surprises me over time is how uh, email blocks all the other collaboration tools. And no matter what you do to set things up, as soon as somebody sends an, an email to somebody else or an replies to all on something that gets outside of the collaboration system, basically that system breaks down. Well, and it comes down to what are we comfortable using? And what I think is going to be interesting over the coming years, and I can't remember if we've had this conversation before on the podcast, is that I think over the next 10 years or so, as younger generations, as the people who are in high school and college now um, are start to enter the workplace, uh, I think that the importance of email as a communication and maybe as a collaboration tool is going to decrease. I can't tell you a teenager who likes to use email. They prefer to send text messages or instant messages or a Snapchat or something very, very, very basic or a tweet. I think as email decreases in popularity, uh, 
if they don't like that as a collaboration tool, they're going to, of necessity, need to look to other platforms or collaboration tools to kind of replicate the kind of collaboration that today's lawyers find comfortable using email. So I'm really interested to see how that changes, but I agree with you right now. I still think that it's hard to break that email habit. And uh, and, and as a result, like I said, I'm going to come back and say, I just don't think that collaboration tools are being used as much as they should be. And and to follow up a little bit, so with the people who've grown up outside of email, uh, so younger people, uh, that when they come into the workplace, they find that all the things that they take for granted, instant messaging, you know, all, all the things you named, the social media tools, aren't being used. And so they feel they have to learn how to use email for all its flaws. And it, is a, you know, it's a real, can be a real struggle f- with them, but they sort of feel that's the way you you have to to work at least in the sort of in, in a lot lot of settings i want to disagree to the extent that so far, what I see about millennials coming into the workplace is that they won't accept the standard traditional norms of how companies go about business. And and I'd like to see, and you may be you may be right for the short term and for the the current time, but I'd like to see um, I'd like to see them come in and start demanding these tools the same way that people are demanding that a company um, uh, provides support for his my iPhone or my Android phone or my iPad. Uh, you know, I, I think that that coming in and saying here's how I can work smarter and better, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense, and I'm hoping that that starts to t- to catch on as time goes on. So let's uh, kind of switch gears and talk about uh, what's out there in, in sort of the world of collaboration. So to me, I think there's the notion of uh, that a lot of people have, there, there should be this big collaboration platform. Maybe that's SharePoint, maybe it's something else that uh, people can work together on projects and they you can sort of do everything you know so you can you can upload files you can work with those files you can manage workflow you can uh, do the whole life cycle of of contracts or documents or litigation matters but everything sort of happens in one place and i i I think even when we wrote the book, we considered that to be the holy grail that, you know, still wasn't out there. So you sort of uh, on the one side, you have that Um, clear on the other side that in place I think is really interesting time is is mobile apps that allow you to collaborate in very specific ways. Uh, And that could be messaging, that could be calendaring, that could be some other things that handle specific problems and then maybe in between you have some certain types of focus collaboration tools a lot of that is cloud i think um, so that could be conferencing of all types video uh, audio all the, all those sorts of things uh, uh, document sharing and, and then platforms that you would do specific types of work on where you, uh, multiple people could edit documents um, so I think you have that. And then also, as we alluded to before, Tom, I think there's this sort of collaboration built into the existing uh, software that we use on a regular basis. I mean, I guess that I don't know about the whole platform thing. So I think that, that that's ever going to that's going to work probably over the next five to 10 years because you just can't capture things uh, very well and contain things. So I think the other areas are more interesting and maybe most interesting of all time is for me is the mobile apps as part of collaboration because that really didn't even exist when we wrote the book. 
Well, and, and frankly, I think that collaboration platforms make sense when you have a, a firm or a team that can invest in a common platform. You know, if you're if you're just a, a solo lawyer or you've just got a few lawyers, it may not make sense to, to invest in an expensive platform. I, I see corporations, larger law firms investing in it. You know, I, you, you mentioned SharePoint as being a tool that people use. Well, frankly, that's uh, partially because SharePoint's free. Um, IT departments uh, in general in the past have thrown SharePoint at the workers saying, here's a great collaboration tool, use it without with very little uh, education or change management on how to actually use it. But but th- that's where I see the collaboration platforms taking hold. I, I think that those focus tools are going to be, uh, I, I agree with you, are going to be one more interesting, but are more common for lawyers who had that specific job to do. I want to work on documents with my clients. I want to brainstorm with other lawyers on a strategy for an upcoming case. Um, and and I, I still think that that's kind of where the, the room for interesting things to happen can. But like I said, I guess maybe now's as good a time for me to, to, to just bring up uh, one example, which is collaborating on documents and working on documents, which is probably one of the most important and common things that lawyers do with other lawyers. And and we mentioned in the book, we mentioned Google Docs. Uh, When we wrote the book, we compared Google Docs to WordPad. Uh, Since that time, though, it has improved, I think, considerably. I I still think Microsoft Word is the best word processor out there in terms of features, but but Google has really taken advantage of some third-party add-ons to to include some really nice functionality uh, compared to seven years ago. Microsoft has come along with uh, Microsoft Office Online, which provides a very similar experience to Google Docs. It works really well. But this is, I think, another area where I may be wrong. I'm just not convinced that lawyers are using these tools. You know, unless you're running a Google-based office and you run Google Apps automatically, uh, my bet is that very few of you who are listening are using Google Docs, Office Online, or any other sharing tool on a regular basis. I'm going to I'm going to do, I tried this for a, for one of the podcasts before and we didn't get a lot of response. I'm going to try it again. I'm going to put in the show notes a survey um, asking people who uses what tool. And if you use Google Docs or Microsoft Office Online or some other tool, let us know. Tell me how wrong I am. So be sure to click through to the show notes, answer the survey, or send me a message about how you collaborate with other people on documents. But that's just the sense I get. I just get the sense that it's not being used as much as it could. So, Tom, I took a look at the, and I think about the book and what where we focused uh, then as opposed to now. I remember back in 2008, we made a conscious decision not to put a chapter in on social media because we thought it was, was too new. And we had an idea of where social media might be going. We thought it was too new and too kind of esoteric, uh, probably f- for lawyers at the time. So I know that a, a new version of the book would definitely cover social media, but I, I sort of was thinking about the the other things that that have changed over time that might go into a, you know a new edition of the book. And to me, I'm I'm fascinated by instant messaging and these other really simple what I call facilitating technologies that just allow people to kind of uh, know that somebody's around. Uh, 
you know, ask if somebody's available for a phone call, those sorts of things that sort of where you're always, that your status is available to people so they know they can reach out to you. Uh, I think that's really important and really fascinating. Uh, I think video and video conferencing, webinars, uh, Google Hangouts, all those sorts of things have matured in, you know, way beyond probably what we expected at the time. And, and those are a lot more common. I think that we now have enough time that, cultural things have started to happen. And so I know that we would do much more in the way of talking what I call collaboration etiquette, you know, all the things you need to know about being on different calls, dealing with people in different cultures, different time zones, all those sorts of things we've learned more about. Uh, and then I also think that uh, the whole Dropbox phenomenon, especially among lawyers, but document sharing, uh, transfer of big files, that that has re that area has also really matured. Uh, what are your thoughts along those lines, Tom? I think those are the biggest areas, frankly, that that people have been taking advantage of collaboration tools. But there's a whole extra area, and there are several other groups of collaboration tools that we haven't even mentioned. And I just don't think they get the same type of use at least in the legal market, as they might in other markets. And uh, we haven't talked, we haven't really talked about collaborative meeting scheduling, which I think is incredibly helpful. Uh, mind mapping, we've left mind mapping out of the discussion so far right now. Whiteboarding, uh, project management, task management. We've talked about some of those on prior, uh, on prior podcasts. Uh, remote access tools, well, they're similar to the screen sharing and presentation tools that are becoming more popular. But there are so many different areas out out there that I think present some great opportunities for lawyers that I think are just so far going untapped and, and are not realized as well as I think they could be. Well, and also I'd add, uh, and you sort of touched on this too, but uh, the workflow management, sort of assignment, right. delegation, version control, uh, you know, uh, just keeping track or repositories of, of what's what's done, who's done what, uh, all that sort of tracking, and then automation of some of that. So I can say, hey, I finished my part, so that kicks it on to the next person. That's, that's sort of workflow, so there's workflow tracking, but there's actual automation of that. And then I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether we called it the cloud in the book, but but I, I you know, obviously the cloud has played a huge part in this. So there's a lot of collaboration that's happening and it's facilitated by the, the different cloud services that uh, sometimes we, we start to take for granted. And then, Tom, I, I want to kind of tap into your what you're seeing and your expertise, but to say, how is how do these collaboration platforms have an impact on uh, electronic discovery, records management, and, and and the issues involved with those things? Well, see, that's the interesting part. Is that as it, it, if we're talking about some of these standalone tools, and we're talking about cloud tools and some of the commercial products like Dropbox and those, um, the companies that I work with and a lot of the law firms that are out there don't really permit access to those types of tools. They they view them as um, additional sources of information, which they would be. They would be places where information could very easily be stored, and uh, for good reason. They usually will enact some type of policy that says uh, you can't uh, use uh, th these cloud tools to do that. Now, that doesn't stop some people uh, because they will all usually try to find the most convenient way to get their job done, and sometimes that's how it happens. But frankly, the, the, the 
the issues that you find with collaboration tools are really the same with anything else in the cloud. They are new sources of electronically stored information. They can be relevant in legal matters. If you are keeping records in these collaboration, either individual tools or even if you have a platform that you've got internally or externally, the records that are in there are the same as records you would have anywhere else and, and would need to be managed the same way. So I, there's not a, a lot of difference, but from an electronic discovery standpoint, from a discoverability standpoint, I think that they're an area that a lot of people really don't think about um, when when they start to use tools like these. And I think there some of the other things that we see are uh, out there. I mean, I just think the proliferation of, of the possibility of these collaboration tools is going to raise all kinds of issues. And so as a lawyer, and to me, being a lawyer, a really good lawyer, uh, demands that you keep up with technology so you can represent your client well and understanding where all this information is, um, even more so in in some ways than, than just keeping on, you know, finding the best technology for yourself. I, I think we've also learned a lot more about the security issues. I think you alluded to also the, the types of policies that law firms and others would want to have in, in dealing with these things. And then I think the, the huge change we have for anywhere, anytime that's facilitated by uh, smartphones, tablets, and, you know, uh, always being able to have access to the internet and the demands that that puts on people and the considerations that you have to take into account when you're working with somebody knowing that they're they might be you know on a smaller screen or have you know some other other limitations no I think those are all definitely areas that um that have changed, that ha that we are probably thinking a lot more about today than we were thinking about seven years ago and things that anybody who wants to use a, a collaboration tool is probably going to have to to think about uh, either before or while they're using it. Uh, in this last few minutes of this segment, uh, I thought maybe we'd provide kind of what, what our best advice or, or tips are for people in terms of, of using collaboration tools. And I'm going to go old school and very simple with mine uh, and, and to say, take a take the example of our last podcast and, and make one of your tech resolutions this year to try out a new collaboration tool. Find something that you do with your clients or with your other with the people in your office or with other attorneys or with the court and see if there's a collaboration tool that can make it easier for you. Uh, I'm going to link to a, a probably more recent collaboration tools directory by a, a guy named Robin Good who, who follows these things. Go find a tool that interests you from that standpoint. Try it out for the year and then report back to us. We'd love to hear about it uh, on how it worked out for you so that uh, so that we can talk about it more on the podcast. Dennis, anything for from you to close out the session? Well, I keep going back to Google Wave, frankly, because <laughs> I, I think that I wish Google wouldn't have killed that because there are a lot of think times that I want to, when I'm thinking about collaboration, I think that that tool would have, as it evolved, would have really have done a lot. But I I, I suggest in, in a way what you're saying is, so Tom, you're saying, you know, try, try a tool and get good at it. I'm sort of saying go back to the basics. And, and why I think that uh, uh, a lot of what we wrote in the book is still good is it's not the the actual tools that exist because we we knew that would become obsolete as things change but uh the collaboration audits the way to think about things the the checklist that we gave people to say let's look at the ways that we actually do collaborate with people and are there ways to improve those and what are we doing where basically the technology we use is getting in the way 
of of how we want to work together with things. And so then I, I think to go back to those basics, then that will also help you decide which tool you want to focus on. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mall Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Neither of us attended the huge consumer electronics show uh, in Las Vegas this year, although I understand about 180,000 other people did. But we read and heard enough to feel like we had. CES reveals the latest consumer technologies we should be expecting uh, during the year. Tom, what got your attention from CES this year? Well, I have to say, I was not all that wowed by what came out at CES uh, this year. It's, it's really never about technologies that lawyers must use in, their, in your practice, but rather technologies that might help you get certain tasks done. And then there's a whole lot of stuff there that, has nothing, that doesn't apply to your practice in any way, shape, or form. Dennis, I know you're planning to go a little bit broad in your comments and your analysis, so I'm going to go a little bit more specific and kind of give a rapid-fire list of some of the few things that interested me from CES. I, uh, there was a lot of talk about smart car technology getting us closer, not for a while yet, but closer to the self-driving car, which I think may have some implications for lawyers, but maybe not in the way that you expect. Um, areas of new business for lawyers down the road, so to speak. Uh, drones again, very popular, which can be significant for lawyers from a privacy perspective, so maybe not necessarily in use of technology, but in how you deal with it. Wearables, again, are huge, but uh, I think everybody is kind of waiting, holding the breath until Apple comes in and trumps everything with its Apple Watch, which I think is rumored now for for March of this year. Uh, curved screens are huge. Uh, phones and TVs, lots of curving and and, and bending. We I, we're seeing one of the more interesting services that came out this year. It, this year really doesn't have a lot to do with the law, but I think it represents a a shift in how things have been done. There uh, it, there have been a calls for many, many years to to have cable companies and satellite companies offer a la carte services for the, the their channels, and they've never done that. And we've started to see people call cord cutters who are using individual services like Netflix and HBO Go and, and Hulu and some other tools. But one of the things that has held it back is the fact that sports has always been uh, something that's been only on cable and hasn't been something. Well, uh, Dish Network has offered something called Sling TV, which is an internet-only television television service, and it's the first one that offers sports, uh, which really to date has been the main reason that people are sticking with basic cable, and I think that it could represent a new trend. Uh, to finish out, two 
crazy things that I saw from CES was the first thing is that Sony introduced, believe it or not, a new version of the Walkman. A little pricey, $1,100. Uh, so I'm not sure who's going to buy it, but uh, apparently got a lot of buzz at CES. And then the worst product I had, I, I can't not mention the worst product that I saw. It was called the Belfie. If you're familiar with the selfie stick, the selfie stick is is something that you can, it's a scoping rod that you can attach your phone to and it can take a selfie from far off where you hold the stick far away so that you're not so close to your face. Well, the Belfie takes that step, that, that, that concept one step further and it offers a camera stick for taking pictures of what's behind you and of your rear end. I'll just leave it at that. I'll put some links in the show notes to some uh, some sites that kind of had nice wrap-ups from CES, but those were the things that I found most interesting. Dennis, what about you? What I found sort of interesting is how little I'm interested these days in big, big expensive TVs with you know more and more resolution. I'm I, I'm not really sure what we're gaining from from all of that, um, and then the pricing on some of these things also tells us a little bit expands the definition of consumer. Um, beyond anything we can recognize as as well. Uh, so, but I wanted to mention a couple of things. And so uh, one is, I always recommend that people subscribe to a few blogs that really don't have t- a lot to do with what your primary interest is, just that they're interesting. And so um, I subscribe to a blog called Learning by Shipping. And so they had their report from uh, CES talked about the importance of CES was the the ingredients more than uh, are not just the products and so I think that that gave me a really interesting take on CES because a lot of what they're talking about is sensors um, the whole notion of wearables um, and and sort of what how we take the technology and put them into products that we will use. So a lot of the discussion about wearables is, are they going to be stylish enough and usable enough that people would would actually uh, want want to use them? And so I think some of the things along those lines that came out of CES, uh, the discussion around that were, were pretty interesting. And then uh, the big thing that I got is, you know, the Internet of Things, uh, being huge and, you know, talk that uh, I think Samsung was saying that they expected in five years that every device that they made would be uh, an Internet of Things device, which means that it would be uh, attached to the Internet in some way. Uh, so that notion of sensors, uh, the expansion of, of, of Internet of Things to be all these things in the home, in the cars, um, and, and everywhere else, and I think that's going to have you know, a big impact on all of us uh, lawyers and otherwise over the next five years or so. So interesting uh, preview of what's out there. Always worth taking a, a look at, though. I don't know that I need to see it in quite as uh, high a level of resolution as other people seem to like uh, on their TVs. So now it's time for our parting shots at one tip, website, or observation. You can use the second as podcast ends. Tom, take it away. 
Well, we have a common theme for our parting shots this uh, uh, this episode. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, something that uh, Mark Zuckerberg did this past week on Facebook. Uh, he decided that he wanted to create a book club. And uh, by creating that book club, he basically made an author very popular. It's a little bit uh, like the Oprah book club phenomenon. But uh, he has created a page on Facebook called A Year of Books. The goal is to read a new book every two weeks and discuss it. Uh, the books are going to emphasize learning about new cultures, beliefs, histories, and technologies. The first uh, book that he's uh, that he's recommending is called The End of Power. Uh, it it uh, either sold out or went to the top 10 in Amazon literally a day after he mentioned it. Uh, but uh, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by book clubs and, uh, and, and uh, I think a, a way to get lots of people involved in a book club is to have a very famous person who has lots of followers on a social network start to recommend things. So I'm going to be paying attention for a while and see Seeing what it looks like, uh, the a year in books on Facebook. You know, I was felt Tom, and I, I know you remember this. I thought that you and I should form a book club about uh, technology books as they relate to law, and do it on Google Wave a few years ago. I'm, I still I like the book I book club idea. It's just I don't, I don't know quite the right venue for it. Maybe that's a Google Hangout thing, something I'm all, always wanted to explore. Uh, my variation on that is is something called the 52 books in 52 weeks challenge. And I don't know who started this. Uh, this was a, a blogging thing. Sometimes you see people who say they want to read you know 12 books in a year or something like that but the idea is that people don't really read enough uh, and uh, and so you challenge yourself and so the the big ones out there and if actually if you do hashtag 52 books you'll find people talking about what the people what they're reading and stuff and so um, I do this I've done this for a good number of years I put it up on my blog and track the books that I read um, although Tom's 52 books in 52 weeks challenge to me is to to take it over to Goodreads so he can better keep up with what I'm I'm reading. So uh, I may do that, but I put it up on my on my blog and then I have just have a goal to try to read essentially a book a week over the year to keep me more uh, up to date and well rounded. Well, like Dennis mentions, and I'll put in a plug for the Goodreads. I, I really love Goodreads because it's sort of a social network for books. Um, they have a reading challenge each year where you can just say, here's how many books I plan to read. I've pledged 50 books this year, although I read something like, I think I read 63 books last last year. So I, I went way over my goal. But, uh, but right now, uh, the, there are about 600,000 participants on Goodreads uh, pledging to read about 31 million books that are out there. And uh, it's a fun way to keep up with what your friends are reading, what they like, them recommending good books, uh, them uh, you recommending good books to them. So I, I really recommend Goodreads for those of you who aren't using it. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes blog at tcanreport.com. I encourage you to go there to take the survey about uh, how you collaborate on documents. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. You can get to the archives of all of our previous podcasts there as well in both places. If you have a question you want answered, a topic for an upcoming podcast, or you just want to talk to us, please email at tkmreport uh, at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about the podcast. 
Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network. <laughs>